Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. Psalm 119, verse 130 reads, The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Today, I want to share with you, briefly, stories of two of the early Reformers and how they came to be converted, converted to faith in Christ as the Savior. 1 Peter 1.3 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's reserved in heaven for you, kept securely by God himself. There is an encounter with the Word of God, with the Scriptures, that changed the thinking of Luther and also impacted Zwingli. Now, Luther and Zwingli are two of the earliest reformers. They are both contemporaries. So around the years 1516, 1517, all in that period of time, is the history of when these events occurred. Now, just prior to them, Erasmus had printed the Greek New Testament. So the Bible available in Greek was now there, and both Luther and Zwingli obtained copies of them. And this revolutionized their lives because they were able to read the text in the language in which the scripture had been recorded. Now, Luther's encounter with this occurred in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3, and then in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. Now, he had always read these scriptures in the Latin Vulgate, and in the Latin, Matthew 3, 3 reads, Do penance, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Do penance. Well, he'd been doing penance. He did penance all the time. Penance is where you had to recount your sins. You had to tell them to the priest. You had to have contrition. You had to have the right motive. You had to list your sins and tell them in detail. You had to confess your sins to the confessor who could then pronounce forgiveness. Luther's problem was he was very diligent about this, and as soon as he got through confessing one sin and started to leave, he'd have to go back to confess the sin of how he was not thinking right about it. He had to constantly do this penance activity, and it was based on Matthew 3.3. But when he got the Greek New Testament and he read Matthew 3.3, he realized that the word was not penance, but repent. And that made a total difference because repent carried a different meaning. It carried not of some action that you did, but it carried the idea of a change in your mind, a change in your direction that results in a change in your life. So repent. It was something that was active here, and it was not this constant penance activity. But his real problem, you see, was Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. This had been the problem most of his life. When he read Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, he was stuck on the word righteousness. Now let's read that passage. 
I'm reading from the ESV, which obviously was not the translation that he used. He's going to be translating it directly from the Greek himself. But this is what the passage says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, that is, of the good news, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now that doesn't stop there, but in his mind it basically did. Revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, the problem with Luther was that when he encountered the scripture, he sees it as revealing the righteousness that God has. And God is the judge. Where he lived at the time, as he would go into the courtyards, there was a statue of Jesus as the judge in the last day. So always in his mind, he's thinking about Jesus as the judge coming back to judge the sins of men. He's righteous. And we have to live up to the righteousness of God. For in it, the good news of the righteousness of God is revealed. And he kept thinking, what do you mean the good news that God is righteous? I'm unrighteous. God's righteous. I'm unrighteous. He didn't see the connection here that he's talking about how the righteousness of God is given as a gift to those who believe, for those who have faith. But on a particular day, when he was reading this verse, it suddenly came to him. Now, this is what he calls his tower experience. I'm going to read an excerpt of it to you uh, that's found, uh, well, it's found in many different places, but this is known as Luther's uh, tower experience. Um, and I'm reading from the account that's given in The Unquenchable Flame, by Michael Reeves. So here we go. Luther, so the following is recorded. It was while he was thinking about forgiveness, these thoughts about how forgiveness he saw in the text was not dependent on how certain the sinner was that he had truly gotten rid of all of his sins by confessing and truly contrite, but that it was simply by receiving the promise of God. He's turning these thoughts over in his mind. The sinner's hope is found not in himself, but outside of himself, in God's word or promise. I'm reading. It was while he was thinking these thoughts, studying away in his cell of the monastery tower, that he turned again to that frightening verse about the righteousness of God in Romans 1, 17. And he writes, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God and said, as if, indeed, it's not enough that miserable sinners eternally lost through original sin are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law of the Decalogue without having God add pain to pain by the gospel and also by the gospel threatening us with his righteousness and wrath. Thus, I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat importunately upon Paul at that place 
most ardently desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Then I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Here, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. So here, in this, his tower experience, Luther discovers, encounters through the understanding of the scripture, an entirely different God, a God of grace and mercy and love. And now he had an entirely different way of relating to him by faith in his word of promise. Ah, that's Luther's coming into the knowledge of God as his Savior, Redeemer, and Lord. And you know the story from there, how in many ways he helped turn the world upside down by the spreading of this good news. The righteous shall live by faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is the gift God gives us salvation, eternal life through faith in Christ. Well, Zwingli is the other reformer. He's in Switzerland. Now, these are pretty close to the same amount of time, within a year or two of each other. Now, Zwingli's experience is certainly not as dramatic as Luther in the Tower experience. Zwingli is a, a plotter in a way. He is slow in absorbing all the things he studies and he takes deliberate actions. As he grasps understanding, then he takes deliberate actions. But he too had obtained a Greek New Testament, thanks to Erasmus, and he set himself to studying the Greek New Testament. Oh, this is absolutely wonderful. You see, up until this point in life, he had read commentaries galore about Scripture, but he had never actually read the Scripture itself by opening the text of Scripture and reading it. And now he holds in his hand the text of Scripture in the original language, and he opens it up to read it. On Saturday, January 1st, 1519, his 35th birthday, Zwingli steps into the pulpit of the great monster and announced that rather than preaching through the lectionary that had been given, he would preach his way through Matthew's gospel verse by verse. And that when he finished doing that, he would continue to preach through the New Testament. 
And so on that Sunday, he opened up the text to Matthew 1, verse 1, and translating directly from the Greek, he preached on the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he continued this practice. Sunday by Sunday, when he entered the pulpit, he would take up from the verse he last finished at to the next verse. He'd explain it verse by verse to the people. He is encountering the word of God directly, and he is helping his people also encounter it through his opening up what the text means. This is how Reformation began in Zurich, where he was the minister. Now, he has a slow awakening in many ways to the ramifications of the gospel. But the clearest evidence we have that the word of God had truly worked itself into his life to the point that he could say with great confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ is his Savior occurred after the terrible plague swept through Zurich in the year 1519. Zurich had about 7,000 inhabitants. Timothy George tells us in his book about the Reformers. But during the year 1519, 2,000 people, 2,000 of his inhabitants had died from the plague. And among them was Zwingli's brother himself. But Zwingli also caught the plague. You see, he was constantly ministering to people who had the plague. He was constantly being pastor to them. But he himself contracted it, and he nearly died. But when he recovered, he wrote the plague song, which is more or less a testimony to his theological insight, which is reflective of his conversion experience to Christ. Here's what he wrote. Help me, O Lord, my strength and rock. Lower the door, I hear death's knock. Uplift thine arm, once pierced for me, that conquered death and set me free. And on recovering from the sickness, he adds, My God, my Lord, heal by thy hand. Upon the earth once more I stand. Let sin no more rule over me. My mouth shall sing along of thee. My mouth shall sing along, alone of thee. Ah, you can hear the joy of knowing his sins are forgiven, that God has given him a new lease on life and a new ministry as he once again mounts the pulpit to continue proclaiming the word of God Sunday by Sunday, verse by verse. These are two of their earliest reformers. And this is something of how they encountered God through the raw text of Scripture and how it changed their lives. Let me ask you a question. Do you depend on your knowledge of the Scripture just based on what other people say about the Bible, even your own preacher? Or do you open the Scripture, read the Scripture, read it deliberately and intently, not just a verse here and there, but read it like the holy book that it is. 
and know that God is speaking to you through his word. You can encounter the living God as you encounter his word. Read it. Because you see, the unfolding of God's word gives light. It imparts understanding. It imparts understanding because it's clear, because it's authoritative, because it comes from God. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights.